0: show that's my open that's what they used to call me swivel hit bradford that's my open i'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion bradfo show that's delicious boom sauce everybody boom sauce well i hope everybody's had a great week i hope everyone's ready for a great weekend i hope everybody has gone and subscribed to the bradfo show and left a positive review as well We here at the Bradfoe Show have had a really good week, I think. We started out with Tori Lovello, always great. Dave Dombrowski came on for the Alex Cora news, talked about uh, hiring Alex Cora. And today, a really good one. Peter Fatsy, the assistant hitting coach for the Red Sox, he is a really, really interesting guy. Now, did not go to Springfield College despite going to Minachog Regional High in Wilbraham, just a few miles away. So we give him a little bit of crap about that because who wouldn't want to go to the Harvard of Alden Street? He went to UConn, where he was a teammate of George Springer, and he talks a lot about this on the podcast. There's some very, very interesting tidbits, not only about his time with Springer at UConn, but how he views Springer as well. Obviously, Springer is a big name in the free agent market, and one the Red Sox fans are keeping a close eye on But then he gets into the season, and some of the hitters, Jackie Bradley talks about that, talks about the dynamics of being an assistant hitting coach. Listen, he's only 18 days older than J.D. Martinez. 18 days older than J.D. Martinez. He's a young guy, 33 years old, but... If you listen to him, you can tell he knows what he's talking about, and he's a valued voice on the team. Alex Cora hired him last year. That was his first year. Obviously, for everybody, it was a very, very strange year. But I haven't had a good chance to talk to Peter, really, since he was hired, and I really enjoy talking with him. So sit back, listen to this. we got another great Bradford show already lined up. He's dropping on Monday. You're going to love it. But this is a great way to end the week. Peter Fatsy. All right. We're honored to have on Peter Fatzi, assistant hitting coach for the Red Sox. And, and Peter, my apologies. This is one of the bad things about, uh, one of the many bad things, uh, have gone that have gone on this year because of COVID. But I really didn't get a chance to talk to you too much, um, before we had to part ways at spring training. And, um, and I'm so glad that we get this chance now. Uh, so how's everything going? How did the year go for you? And, and as you sit here right now, it must feel a whole lot different than wherever you were sitting exactly one year ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Rob. It's a pleasure to be here, first and foremost. Um, yeah, it's wild. My wife and I were just talking about this, actually. It's, it's been a year since being hired by uh, the Red Sox, and obviously uh, you know, we've had a lot go on. And i um, obviously I'm super thankful to be a part of the organization and, and represent New England. Um, but so far it's been good. It's been, it's been a little bit of a change of pace for me, just uh, being home with the kids, um, my wife and I are doing some projects around the house. It's been good to have some downtime. And then, um, you know, we're going to start up here shortly with more player reviews and, and hopefully some potential player visits. It's obviously going to be depending on, um, you know, the COVID situation. But, um, yeah, we'll be ready to kick off the offseason in, in, in full gear.
0: Now, I mean, the big question is how did you, a guy from Western Mass, correct? I mean, yes, sir. How, did you, how did you ever, ever choose UConn over the great Springfield College? <laughs> Springfield College, my alma mater, how did they let you get away?
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. It's actually right in my backyard, and I grew up, uh, I mean, geez, maybe less than 10 miles from the, uh, from the college. They've obviously had uh, excellent sport programs at the Division three level. They have a really good exercise science program, which, Um, In hindsight, would have been a really cool thing for me to explore, Uh, but UConn was just a place for me that I I knew right away when it came down to making a commitment. I wanted to be the the types of people that are there, that were there, that are still there, the culture that Coach Penders is building and has built since that point. Um, You know, it it was everything I wanted to be a part of, and, um, you know, so was it. It was a relatively
0: easy decision, sorry to say, but uh, it was it worked out uh, nonetheless. Well, so I was going to get to a little bit later because since you integrated UConn into it, and I forgive you for not going to, do, to the to the to the Harvard of to the Harvard of Alden Street, so that's how we will we will always classify it as. Um, you know? But since we've, we've we've integrated UConn into the conversation, you played with a guy, George Springer. Um, yeah. And uh, do you remember, and, and listen, I'm not going <laughs> to, obviously, we, we have to call it what it is. Everyone in Boston has George Springer on the radar right now, um, for obvious yeah. reasons. But do you remember the first time that you, uh, you saw him play, or that you came across him, or you were introduced to him?
1: Of course. So I actually hosted George on his, uh, his recruiting visit. So he stayed with me, uh, my roommates up at school, my sophomore year. Um, coincidentally, I actually had Nick Ahmad as well. So we had a, we had a pretty good run in our, uh, in our little quad there, uh, in terms of hosting recruits. But, uh, yeah, George, uh, from day one, I mean, he's just such a special athlete. I mean, uh, everybody gets to see him on the national stage now, but coming from a small Northeast school, he was just so talented. I remember, you know, one of the first things I remember him doing was backflips on the field before practice. <laughs> just, he, I know he had a gymnastics background and, um, you know, he was uh, my catch partner Is uh, my junior year, his freshman year. Uh, we hit in a lot of the same groups, obviously both being outfielders at the time. Um, he was my lifting partner. So we spent a pretty good amount of time together, um, you know, early on in his college career. But he just was able to do things that most, you know, I would even say most college players across the country at a, at a young age, he just – the guys couldn't even imagine doing. You know, I remember him hitting two home runs in a game – Against Bryant through the wind, and, and it was like somebody shot a cannon off the scoreboard in right center field. And you're just watching, and it's like this guy is doing things that I couldn't even imagine seeing. And at the time, I would have probably said that the best college player I'd ever played against is Todd Frazier, who was at Rutgers, who just had this ability to command the game offensively, um, on the base path defensively. But when I met George Springer, it was—I mean, it was—he was an amazing talent. Um, and obviously he's, he's still carrying that on today, which is really, really great to see.
0: So if there was only someone in the organization who had experience recruiting George Springer... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I guess you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: so, exactly right. So, so listen, this is I. This is you. You got to play to your strengths, and and I'm not going to say you are, or you aren't, but you you better be at the ready there, Peter. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I hear you. What, was it was it tough recruiting? As as someone who's recruited him before, was uh was that a tough recruit or was it was he an easy guy?
1: So I believe he was already committed at the time he came. His father played football um, at UConn, and uh, I know that he was—you know—he was really—you know—either he, really, you know, he was committed or he was extremely serious about going to UConn. Um, you know, so when I got him, it was more just exposure to the campus, taking him to practice, um, some of the meetings with the other guys that we had—you know—just regular recruiting stuff. Um, but yeah, it was—it uh, was relatively easy, if I remember at the time.
0: What 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 is he better at? Obviously he's a better player. We all, you know, get better at everything that we do as we get older. Um sure. but what is he you watch him now, what is the thing that jumps out for you that he's like, Oh yeah. man, he's really gotten good at that?
1: Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah, I would say yeah, I remember when we were in college, uh, you know, he he was really, really violent with his swing. I mean he just he had he was the intangibles off the charts in terms of athleticism, hand all that stuff. Um but like his swing, you know, he had a very, like a, a really violent swing. Um, and I remember at the time, you know, some of the evaluators were like, well, he's going to have to tighten that up. And it was interesting to see his transition just over his, you know, from his minor league career, you know, getting to the big leagues and just making adjustments, uh, to simplify things, you know, still has that same aggressive, uh, athletic move. But, um, you know, obviously he's, he's been able to, you know, put it into something that's extremely consistent and, um, you know, something that's able to do a lot of damage
0: at the major league level, which has been great to see. So, uh, when you looked at this, and we're going to jump to sort of your season, your year, um, yeah. obviously highly regarded and, and, and congratulations on, on, on making the leap that you did and well-deserved. It was awesome. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. You know, so like you said, a year ago, you're sitting there, get hired by the Red Sox and, and think that this is going to go this way or that way. And I feel like I can bring this to the table or that to the table. When you got, when you got going with your job, let's say in spring training, what was something that you didn't anticipate? In terms of, you talking about spring training 1.0 or 2.0? Uh, one, I think 1.0. Just in terms of like being really being integrated into now you're, sure. you know, you got, the, you got the Major League uniform on. Um, you're amongst the Major League players. Um, and, and you think you know what you're in store for. And you had been around certainly Major League players before, but not on a Major League staff. But what is the thing that you didn't anticipate?
1: Sure, no, that's a good question. Um, you know, I would say, well, to that point, I was, you know, it was really um, part of what Rocco and his staff, Derek Shelton, James Rawson, did in Minnesota was they they welcomed all of our coordinators to spend a lot of time during the season with the Major League Group. So we were able to travel, um, you know, make visits up to uh, I went to Minneapolis. I went to New York with the group. And so, you know, preparing to be around a Major League team wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, as. I don't want to say, like, concerned about that, but it was something I had exposure to and, and had an understanding of, like, the pregame work, how kind of things, were, you know, the lay, lay of the land uh, kind of went. Um, you know, I would say from day one, the thing, and this is more of just a testament to the type of players and people that we have. Uh, the players, everybody were just, was just so welcoming and, and wanted to embrace and dig in. And, um, you know, I was, you know, I'm always prepared or try to be as prepared as I can into, in every situation that I go into. Um, but, it, you know, having a dynamic where players trust you is really important for me. Um, and so I, I was fully anticipating going in and earning that trust. And, you know, those guys, you know, kind of from right away, really, they, they were kind of open arms and welcomed me. And it was, I again, I don't want to make it seem like it was like I was surprised by that. But I, I just, I anticipated really having to continuously work to build that trust early on. Um, and like I said, I mean, it's something I try and do every day. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to have those guys from day one just, you know, really buy you know buy into me and, and, and kind of what I brought
0: to the table. What You know, this isn't about you blowing your own horn, but it's more about, you know, your experiences. What is the thing, do you know of something that maybe you did bring to the table that you did sense that they're like, oh, wow, you know what? We hadn't been experiencing that or we hadn't been um, introduced to that or that is something new. And this isn't a knock on the Red Sox the way they did things. You know, every single week, every single month, every single year, there's something new in regards to the hitting process. Is there anything that you felt like, hey, you were bringing in that was maybe new to, to what they had dealt with?
1: Um, you know that's a good question. I, you know, obviously Tim and, and his staff have done a really good job with this offense. The players have done a really good job. So for me, you know, I really felt it, it was important as a learning opportunity to to basically observe and again work as hard as I possibly could to build relationships with guys early because this has been one of the top offenses in baseball for for uh, the last few years here, and I really wanted to see how they did things. I would say one of the, the areas for me that I Um, have been exposed to, um,
2: do you want me to just pick up and start
0: off? No, no, that's fine. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So one of the areas that I would say I was exposed to, uh, with Minnesota was just integrating kind of technology, uh, some biomechanics into, um, you know, hitting and just being able to observe how hitters move, the styles, uh, that they have with their swings, um, and just being able to kind of bring those things to light within their swing, whether they're working on a day-to-day basis, kind of integrating with the strength and conditioning staff. And uh, that was something I know Tim and, and his staff have really been big on. And, and so I felt like that was something I could help bring to the table and, and, and you know, kind of work with guys on. But um, I would probably say that was, was and uh, probably has been the, the biggest area of focus for me early on.
0: Give me an example, I guess, you know, because that's a pretty, you know, obviously that's pretty broad, but. Yeah. Yeah. I I think people like that. I mean,
2: basically, we have, you know, we have systems that are able to, you know, take information uh, on a hitter's, you know, sequence, right? So how their body's working. So whether I'm getting information on, you know, so how somebody's hips are working or how somebody's lower half's working or how somebody's upper half's working, kind of taking that information and, and doing the best we can to kind of build drills and, uh, build training that helps the player feel or create awareness of what they're trying to, you know, what they're, what that specific, uh, area is influencing in the swing. So whether it's a lower half drill, trying to get more explosive, whether it's, you know, a hitter trying to use the ground better, just using all the information that we're able to get to try and kind of, you know, build out a training program, uh, or drills for them to, uh, you know, continue to develop that feel.
0: Was there was there one guy in particular that you you know obviously you you worked with a lot yeah. of guys and was there one guy in particular like like you maybe really clicked with?
2: Um, I would say early on, you know, we spent a lot of time with Mitch um, in spring training, building out a routine. Uh, myself as well as the uh, you know the strength and conditioning staff, we kind of collaborated and and we put together just a, a different uh, routine for his lower half, so just focusing on how his hips load and unload. You know, what we tried to do is build it in an environment where he wasn't swinging a bat, so he was able to kind of program the moves we want. And then we'd go in the cage and we'd test it out, stress it out, and and we just kind of, you know, we worked obviously through Mitch's feedback and and were able to build something that he he was confident in. So, um, you know, that was really, that was probably the first uh, example of that uh, cohesive approach,
0: if, if that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. And, I mean, that's a pretty good example because he had a pretty yeah. good year. So Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I remember, you know, and I don't know how old you were, but, you know, when Theo Epstein was coming up in 2003 um, as the general manager of the Red Sox, your hometown Red Sox, I assume they were your hometown Red Sox. Do you root for yeah, the Red course. Sox? Yeah, yeah. Of course. So, you know, that that was – that was a big deal i mean he's a 28 29 year old gm um being a 29 29 year old gm but i you know having followed him around that year and been around there was the challenge of there's guys older than you <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. i mean that was that was a very real thing for him to like walk into a clubhouse and 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 some guys are you know that's just a reality. Sometimes the guys there's there's ageism in baseball sometimes, sure. And so I don't know if that was in the back of your mind. Like for instance, you know, J.D. Martinez is older than you, I believe, <laughs> right?
2: Uh, yeah, we're we're actually born in the same month in August, the same '87.
0: Uh, but so we're we're pretty close. Oh, okay, perfect. I mean, perfect. Whether, you know, <laughs> but still, it's it's you know, it's there is whether it's reality or not. I don't know if it was in the back of your mind. that, I, Like you said, I want to make sure that I prove myself, that I'm respected, so forth and so on. And then you have a guy like, for instance, J.D., who is so, you know, like, obviously so well-versed in hitting and, you know, a week older than you or <laughs> whatever it is. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was a thing for you or not, or maybe maybe that's just I'm, I'm making this up.
2: No, 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 no. That's a really good question. Uh, you know, like I, like one of the things that I remember – um talking with the leadership group when I got hired was that question kind of, uh, kind of came up indirectly. And, you know, I, my belief is um, I'm going to do everything that I can every day to number one. It's, it's, it's always for the player, right? It's never about me. So I'm going to do everything that I can to help the player be prepared for that game and to bring their best version out. I'm going to do my best to communicate with everybody that I can. I'm not always going to, you know, I'm not always going to be right. Uh, But I'm going to do my best to to come to the best answer that I can. And I'm going to collaborate with the player. And I've always found that that approach, no matter, and and again, you know, not only am I 33, I guess, I never played in the big leagues. Mm. So, you know, for me, it was, I'm going to do the best I can to be prepared and help these guys. um, and, And if, and again, building relationships, that's why building relationships is so important because that becomes the foundation of everything else that you do. So, you know when you know when the mindset for me was building the relationships and then bringing things to the table to empower these guys every day. I think the age thing didn't even come into play. I mean, I think Mitch made a joke because he was actually about three years older than me. <laughs> uh, but that was the only time I'd even had a conversation really with anybody and uh, about it. You know.
0: Mm. That you know it's it's again I it, I think that once you get going, the age yeah. thing goes away pretty quick. You know. Yeah. So. Yep. I mean, it's it's Tom Brady is uh, is you know he's older than his offensive coordinator. I don't think it's a I don't think it's an issue. So right, right, exactly. uh, um, You know, one of the guys who I'm always interested in, who had like a very interesting year as well, it was Jackie Bradley, and and you know I interviewed Jackie. It was a winter meetings before last year, before 2019. And he uh, he had started you know doing the um, Craig Wallen Brock thing, going out to L.A. and um, and he was so optimistic that offseason. I mean, he I think his quote was like, "Everything I had learned before was wrong, and I feel so right, and I've adjusted my swing." And it didn't translate. I mean, it, we've seen positives and negatives in that respect, but it didn't translate. And this year, he, was, he said in spring training when we actually could talk to him, you know, he was talking about simplifying, simplifying, simplifying. And mm-hmm. a- as it turned out, that last month of the season, I mean, you have had a guy hitting over 300 with an OPS over 900 um, and being the player, you know, the, the really, really good Jackie Bradley. From your perspective, he must have been an interesting guy to work with.
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah. Jack, I mean, Jackie – I, I couldn't say enough good things about Jackie Bradley. I mean, he's just a phenomenal person. Um, you know, I obviously I had the you know the opportunity early on to work with him, just at the early part of camp. It was it was before all the position players uh, had a chance to report. I remember having kind of some conversations, just hey, tell me tell me about yourself and your swing and all this stuff. And and what really struck me from the first conversation I had was just his awareness of who he is and like what he's done and what he's tried and. Um, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and that was kind of the bedrock. If I were to say anything, that was probably the bedrock of his season this year is, you know, you're always going to have, you know, highs and lows, peaks and valleys, but the goal is to try and create something that's relatively stable, and I think he's had some of those moments over the course of his career. Um, He's tried different things. He knows a lot about himself, much more, I'm sure he'd say, now than he did five years ago, and I think that was kind of really – you know, what he brought to the table for himself every day. So he was, he would come in, he knew his routine. Um, if he had a question, he'd ask. But if not, it was kind of, we were working on autopilot, making sure everything was finely tuned and just go play the game. You know, he, uh, i again, I can't say enough good things about him as a person, but also his, just his, the approach he had in terms of how he was going about his work was really, it was awesome to watch and be a part of, you know.
0: What was the turning point between month one and month two for him?
2: Uh, I would just say he, he, I think month one was just like everybody else kind of timing and trying to, you know, get the, um, you know, the new routines, the season down, just all that stuff. And then by, I would say by, by month two, he was just, he was trusted, trusted and convicted in, in what he was trying to do. He stuck with it. And he started to see, obviously, the results uh, kind of spoke for themselves, but he just started to see things kind of trend the way they did, you know. He's, and he's super talented, right? So mm. it's, always, it's always been in there. Mm.
0: You, this is um, along the lines of, you know, how things progressed uh, throughout the course of the year. You know, obviously, you know, video was a big p- topic of conversation. JD talked a lot about it. Did he sense, by the end of the year, that maybe the there was um more of a um a routine or a grasp of okay this is what we're dealing with because Peter the thing is is that yeah a lot of this was COVID a lot of it wasn't COVID too you know a lot of this is this rule changes with with video and so did you get a sense that there is sort of okay this is what we're dealing with and we just have to make the adjustments
2: um, I would say that, there, I mean, like you had mentioned, there were, there were so many things that made this year unique uh, that it's, I mean, you could go on and on, obviously, about the different things. I, I think the video is just players are, were used to using that as a form of cross-referencing what their eyes told them, what their body told them, um, and it's another piece of feedback. It's another, it's another way hitters close the loop, and when you've been doing it for three, five, you know, nine years, and then you'll have access to it, it certainly becomes, you know, one of those things you have to learn to adjust. And obviously it's it's one of those things that, you know, you, you never want to make it into a crutch, but it's something you have to we have to adjust uh, and learn to work without. Um, and I thought the guys did a really good job. Once, you know, once we got things rolling and our routines started to settle and we understood how the season was going to, you know, just kind of flow, um, you know, I think the guys did a really good job of uh, kind of, you know, obviously, you know, working through that. And, uh, it was good. I mean, there was a lot of ba- really good baseball chatter. I felt that came out of it, you know, guys watching other, you know, each other swings. Um, they've obviously been doing that for, you know, for years, but it just kind of promoted a little bit of, uh, a little bit more of that, uh, sort of com- uh, conversation and communication in the dugout. And, um, you know, like I said, I thought we did a really good job kind of bridging the gap. Um, once we got started.
0: Yeah. I love that way of looking at it. You know, I love the fact that, you know, they it made guys observe and talk and, communicate it's like you know all of a sudden you're not texting you're actually picking up the phone and calling I mean that's a terrible (laughs) example but but that's that's great to hear the last thing because I know you're going to go and I appreciate your time um, is just a broad question about hitting about where hitting's going and we talked so much about launch angle and hitters trying to figure out you know where pitching is going and pitchers trying to figure out where hitters are going and how do you think that? Where do you think that hitting's going? At how it might be changing, even from a year or certainly two years ago?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think the game in general on the offensive side, as we've seen through the different technologies and the different information that's coming out about how you know just move you know the, the movement dynamics of a swing and and how hitters are able to produce power. I still think there's a lot we're learning. You know, we're we're learning a lot on a daily monthly yearly basis um i i think that no matter what hitting really comes back to for me uh timing and in, in understanding your timing or your, your rhythm and your timing um to get your best swing off you know it's because the, the the analogy a lot of times that we'll look to in terms of how we break down swings is efficiency right so in golf Ball stationary, I can measure my swing, the efficiency of my swing against uh, an object that's sitting still. When the ball is moving at you and it comes at varying speeds and locations, and there's sequencing involved, it becomes so reactionary that if we don't have a solid understanding of our timing, then you know we could take the same swing and be early and late with the same efficiency and get two completely different results. Mm. So it becomes, I think, with the growth of technology, we have to make sure we understand. How that technology fits back into timing, in my opinion. So I think, it, you know, from a broad, you know, strokes, I think we're always looking to to challenge timing and practice. Um, I think, you know, you've seen uh, clubs. We certainly do it. Uh, you know, use different types of pitching machines and combinations to get our our players ready before the game. I think you're going to continue to see a surge in in that type of practice. Um, I also think we're going to start to, again, solidify some of the things that we have thought and um, I don't want to say assume, but that the things that we have kind of felt known to be true over the years, we're going to start to really be able to solidify that with more data collection and more analysis, things like that.
0: Is there a bit of technology that's that's coming that, that maybe nobody's talking about that you think is going to be um, pretty important, pretty prevalent in the, in the next year or two?
2: Uh, that's a good question. I, honestly, I think we're at a phase right now where you're starting to see the technology become more accurate, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, we had, we, we you know, we had a lot of things burst on the scene that were really good tools that are, I think are starting to become more accurate in terms of like, including different types of measurements, but also just, like, you know, making sure the margin of error isn't super high when you validate it against other pieces of equipment. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing. Um, you know, and everybody, the, the other one is is, you know, I think VR at, at, at the amateur level has really taken off, uh, virtual reality. And that's just like, you know, the guys, you know, you put the headsets on and you know, you're simulating, you know, at bats so you can get an element of timing. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know if there's any specific piece of equipment that I'd come out and say, Hey, like this is absolutely game changing at this moment,
0: mm-hmm. um, that we don't have out. You right can't, now. I mean, this is, this is probably a really dumb question, but you talk about VR. I mean, that could never be integrated into like uh, preparation either. During, I guess, during a game, right? And uh, that's
2: I don't I don't know. Like once the game starts, if you would be able to have that. I mean, we you know we use obviously we have our iPads and we have um, you know our uh, monitors that have the preloaded information on the pictures and the video sequence and stuff like that. I mean, maybe you could. It, it, I think it all depends. At the end of the day, it all depends on the hitter's preference. You know, some hitters, just like the machine, right? Some hitters love to ch- like love to challenge themselves off the machine before a game because it stresses their timing. Other guys don't. Uh, some guys like to study and look at tons of video. Other guys just want to know speeds and velocities – or velocities and movement, excuse me. Like they want to know simple information. So I think it all depends on who the guy is and what they want.
0: Hmm. No, that makes sense. It was, uh, and, again, uh, I – I, it, as soon as you said, it, I'm like, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind doing that if I was a hitter. Like, okay, yeah. you getting ready for this pitcher? Let's pop this thing on and see what it's going to look like. Um, right. Well, Peter, you made a lot of good choices in your life, and one of them was not going to AIC. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if if you aren't if you aren't going to Springfield College. Um, the, and you did go to UConn, which obviously worked out for you. Uh, yeah. at least the other, the other feather in your cap is that you did not go to almost <laughs> in college. Um, oh, man. so uh, you, you see, only a Western mask guy could understand what we're talking about, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. But, um, uh, but I really appreciate you taking the time. It was great stuff. And, and I do look forward to, uh, Springfield, uh, I'm sorry, in spring training, that we are have, able to have a conversation no matter if it's six feet away with masks or whatever, but just something other than a phone call or even Zoom. So,
2: Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Well, I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on.